you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. So glad I put another episode out. Well, I mean, we're all just kind of hanging out at home right now, so obviously there's not much for us to do, but this is a good chance for me to keep on this schedule of getting this out weekly. Um, how's everybody doing with the uh, quarantine going on? I'm sure we're all just sitting around, staring at TVs, staring at our phones, staring at the news. So here's one more thing to entertain you while you're uh, stuck inside on this stay-at-home order with the coronavirus quarantine of 2020. Lots of cover. We're going to talk more about California, what's going on. A lot of stuff has happened in the past 24 hours, including Gavin Newsom's stay-at-home order. Uh, what's been going on out there? I want to focus mostly on California. Uh, just a new thing I'm trying out. Obviously, we all like to talk about the national news. What's going on? I'm still going to talk about national news, but I want to start gearing this more towards California, uh, at least in this podcast. Uh, try it out. Because as a young podcast, we're trying out new things. So that's the great thing about young podcasts. You can watch them evolve over time. But with that said, let's start with the out of, out of the gate monologue. Fear is a powerful weapon. It can be used to make people vote a certain way. It can be used to make people buy a certain product or even act a certain way. Today, we are seeing a lot of fear. Fear being pushed by those in the media and those on social media. People trying to spread as much panic as possible. You've seen the lines at the grocery stores, the images of people inexplicably buying tons of toilet paper. The fear in our country right now is palpable. Every day, people are waking up to the news of new cases, new deaths, and news about how much equipment we are short. The stock market seems to keep dropping, and people are really nervous about their financial outlook. It's not great out there. And I won't pretend to say things are peachy keen. This is a tense situation. I was trying to think, when was the last time the entire country was this affected by one event? I would venture to say that it hasn't been since World War II that the whole country has been adversely affected by what's going on in the world. However, you don't have to choose to live in fear. You can choose to pick your head up and look at the good that is going on. Companies are jumping into the fray to help in any way they can. Just today, Tesla announced that they will start manufacturing equipment to help. Companies are donating millions of dollars to help people who have been laid off or furloughed. Treatments are being worked on around the clock all over the globe. Labs in America and abroad are working furiously on a vaccine. The first human trial on a vaccine has already started. People are working hard to get past this. While the news would like you to believe that it's all doom and gloom, there are plenty of silver linings. As Mr. Rogers once said, during a crisis, look for the helpers. And there are plenty of people helping out right now. Another similarity I see between World War II and now is how if anyone is equipped to tackle this issue, it's the United States of America. Before this happened, we had a roaring economy, setting records nearly every day. Our economic might right now is unparalleled around the globe. 
President Trump's private-public partnership with dozens of companies is an all-out, hands-on-deck approach that will defeat this. Let me repeat that. It will defeat this. No other country has the capacity to begin manufacturing the equipment we do or the research capabilities to find the cure as fast as possible. Now contrast that with countries that only have a socialist style of healthcare. Europe is experiencing enormous pain. One, because their economy was not as healthy before this. Because when you create one choke point for everything to come out, the whole thing can come crashing down with the slightest of hiccups. Compare that to our current private-public partnership. The work is spread out across dozens of entities and agencies. A problem with one entity does not cause the whole thing to come to a screeching halt. And that is how we're going to beat this virus. All hands on deck. So while it may be hard to find a silver lining in all this, it's best to remain optimistic. People are working hard to combat this. We will get through this. Americans have an uncanny ability to rise to the most dire of situations when needed. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. So with that good news, I like to focus on, during these tough times, and this is just myself, I'm trying to find all the positives and the good news that's going on out there in the world. It's easy to continually watch the news and people talk about how bad it could get, how long we could be inside, and people just keep looking for the worst case scenario. I don't know why this is being caused this way. I don't know if it's a combination of TDS mixed with the coronavirus and TDS for people who don't understand is Trump derangement syndrome that people just don't seem to think President Trump can get us through this. Now, with that said, a new Ipsos poll came out that said 55% of Americans approve of the way of how President Trump is handling this. He got high remarks on a press conference last week saying that he looks like the leader we we need right now. You have Joe and Mika Brzezinski, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski out there praising him, saying he looks like the leader we need right now. Even Dana Bash of CNN has come out and said that he is the kind of leader we need right now. Now, with that said, things are going to get worse, I think, before they get better. But try to look at the good news. Look at the good stuff that's been happening. We have been ramping up manufacturing. We have been getting more of these masks and these ventilators out. There's a lot of positive that's going on. We have a vaccine that's already in human trials. And now people say, well, the vaccine's not till a month or, or a year off. So we have a long way before there's an actual vaccine. But there's one thing I wanted to talk about And I've been keeping my eye on this, and I think you should keep your eye on it as well. President Trump brought it up for the first time yesterday during the press conference saying that this malaria treatment, there is a treatment for malaria that seems to be working pretty well. Now, I'm going to read an article from Breitbart which talks about how malaria countries don't seem to have any cases of COVID-19. Now, I'm not going to try and uh, pronounce the name of it because I know I'm going to absolutely butcher the name of it. But this is an article from Breitbart talking about what people are starting to find out about this malaria treatment. 
The incident of COVID-19 is dramatically lower in malaria, malarial countries than in non-malarial countries, according to one researcher. This may well vindicate President Donald Trump's decision to fast-track the use of anti-malarial drug chloroquine phosphate for the treatment of coronavirus. The correlation was spotted by Dr. Roy Spencer, meteorologist and principal research scientist at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and his tweet or Facebook page says, On the subject of using anti-malarial drugs for COVID-19 treatment, I've compared COVID-19 cases versus malaria incident by country. This is amazing. I download all the data for 234 countries incident of total COVID-19 cases as of March 17, 2020 versus the incident of malaria in those countries. Various sources kind of messy, matching everything. Results, multi-country average malaria cases per thousand COVID-19 cases per million in three cases of countries based on malaria incident. Top 40 malaria countries, 212 malaria equals 0.2 COVID-19. Next 40 malaria countries, 7.3 malaria, 10.1 COVID-19. Remaining 81, 234 countries, zero malaria, 68.7 COVID-19. Again, the units are malaria cases per thousand population at risk and COVID cases per million total population. In all my years of data analysis, I've never seen such a stark and strong relationship. Countries with malaria basically have no COVID-19 cases, at least not yet. There are various possible explanations for this stunning correlation, as is back into the article. One is that malarial countries are not keeping effective records and the incidence of COVID-19 is much higher than they admit. Another is that they are located in the tropics and coronavirus does not survive for so long in hot countries, which may be a good thing seeing as we're starting to head into spring and summer. But the most encouraging possibility is that these countries whose populations have been heavily exposed to the cheap, generic, old-fashioned anti-malarial drug chloroquine phosphate, and that this may have been given a degree of immunity. As I reported earlier, several studies, including a small-scale one conducted in France this month, suggests that chloroquine has proved effective in treating COVID-19. It's been previously used successfully in the treatment of SARS, another coronavirus, which similar characteristics of COVID-19. So this is something I'm keeping my eye on. Every day I try to keep my eye on this because this could have huge ramifications. If this could at least, it's not a vaccine, it's a treatment. So that means that people who are infected with or come down with coronavirus actually can get this cheap generic drug and almost stop the symptoms treat it and get them better almost you know not immediately but in a quick turn it it stops these severe symptoms and i think that's something that people need to start looking at is if this treatment works and they can figure it out and i'm sure they're testing and figuring it out around the clock it's cheap it's affordable it's out there it's already been fda approved Um, I mean, it's been around since the 1950s, so it's been around for a long time. There's a strong chance that this could change a lot of things. If you get a treatment, people start to feel better that if they get coronavirus, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, They know that they could treat people who are at risk, who are at high risk of getting coronavirus and stop it from doing really fatal damage to people. And again, I'm, I'm only just conveying information to you. I am in no way a doctor. I have no medical or science background. So I'm just 
following this and passing it along to you. But this, this is sort of just my big, big takeaway is that you have to look at the positives in this. Otherwise, I think you're just absolutely going to go crazy. Um, because you can't just sit inside and look at all the fear mongering and the doomsday that we're going to be stuck inside for 18 months and the, the bad uh, forwarding of texts and social media that say the National Guard is going to be deployed and we're all going to be stuck in our homes. And if you don't comply, the military is going to arrest you and throw you in jail. Like you got to stop looking at the fear mongering. It, it stinks now. But like I said, if anyone can handle this and anyone has the resources to handle this i think it's it's our country um now last night uh governor newsom in a press conference issued what was a statewide order for all residents to stay home uh this is an article again from breitbart california governor gavin newsom issued a statewide order for all the state's residents to stay at home during the coronavirus pandemic Quote, we need to bend the curve in the state of California, unquote, Newsom said in the announcement. There is a social contract here. People, I think, rec- need, think recognize the need to do more. They will adjust and adapt as they have. Home isolation is not my preferred choice, but it is a necessary one, Newsom added. This is not a permanent state. It is a moment in time. In accordance with the new stay-at-home measure, Dine-in restaurants, bars, clubs, gyms, and fitness studios will be closed. Public events and gatherings of people are also not permitted. Earlier Thursday, it was revealed California estimated that more than half of the state, which includes 25.5 million people, will contract the coronavirus through the next eight weeks, according to a letter sent by Newsom to President Donald Trump. In the last 24 hours, we had 126 new COVID-19 cases, a 21% increase. In some parts of our state, our case rate is doubling every four days, Newsom wrote in the letter. Newsom also requested that Trump dispatch the USNS Mercy Hospital to the Port of Los Angeles through September 1st, 2020 to assist with expected cases. So, obviously, again, it's, it's scary to be told we're going to stay at home. But if you were already staying at home and you were already doing the whole working from home thing, working remotely, not going outside, only going outside for the essentials, nothing has really changed for you. This is just the governor kind of saying, okay, before I was suggesting, now I'm ordering it. Meaning, this is not, we have to take this seriously. California has a lot of people who are densely populated. And keeping people at home and keeping people from interacting with each other with big cities like San Diego, L.A., San Francisco, I would is big three right there. Um, that's really what it's going to take. And it's about slowing the infection rate. That's what this is. It's about slowing the infection rate so that people can kind of get caught up with this. That means people can get the equipment they need, that they can get the resources they need. Uh, obviously, we need the aid that we need. Um, obviously, the treatments that people are starting to look into. All of this, I think, is going to come to a head. And I, it hurts now. It hurts now because there's a lot of businesses who are struggling. And we'll get to another article I want to talk about. Not really coronavirus related, kind of coronavirus related, but more California workers related. Talking, Small businesses are going to have it tough for a little bit. It's not going to be easy. I, I know that. It, it's not. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. I know a lot of people who are scared because they started these businesses. And I know that they're scared because 
they are month to month or day to day or week to week. It, it's tough whether you're knowing that rent is going to come through. It's scary now. And people who are stoking the fires of fear, stoking the fires of panic are definitely not helping. While I don't usually give him a lot of compliments, I would have to say I've been a fan of how Governor Newsom has been handling this whole thing. I think he's been doing a good job. I think he's been very uh, he's been very balanced in his approach, very responsible. He's trying not to get too crazy. He's slowly implementing these measures. Even watching his press conference last night, he still seemed upbeat about this stay-at-home order, trying to tell people, you can go out, you can go for a walk, you know, you need to walk your dog, you, know, you gotta get, go out, get some fresh air. It's not the, you know, don't just stay at home and quarantine yourself forever. You can go out, you can go to the grocery store, you can do these certain things. It's just stay home. And it's more for the non-essential workplaces. So there's a lot of non-essential workplaces that were probably pushing off the whole work from home saying that there's no way we can have people work from home. Now he's sort of ordered it to these workplaces saying, you got to make everybody go home. I think that's what it's more geared towards. If Again, if you were already quarantining yourself, and I hate to say quarantine because quarantine means you're kind of cut off from the rest of the world and you have no freedom to go anywhere. This is just more stay at home, stay safe, stay away from it. Um, and... If you've already been staying home, then nothing has really changed for you. If you've been staying at home and it's all about just work from home, go get your groceries, stay home and cook, get takeout, do those things, watch movies, play a board game, anything like that, then nothing has really changed for you with this stay of the order. And I think that's important to emphasize. This is not a scary martial law sort of, not yet. I'm saying I'm not going to say this is not because it could turn into it. And he's alluded to that. But this so far is not a martial law. Shut it all down. Everyone has to stay within their homes and can't go out for two weeks or whatever. Um, so with that said, I, I, I think he's been doing a, a decent job, a good job. I would say he's doing a very good job of being professional. He's been working with the Trump administration. He's giving them nothing but praise, saying they've been doing very well, that they've given him everything that he's promised. Um, at this point, you need these governors to work together with the president because this is this is a big deal. And this is something that nobody has really seen before. And it's, it's time to kind of set politics aside and figure out how do we go from here? How do we get people safe? How do we, we get this virus under control? How do we get treatments out to people? How do we get people's lives back to normal? That's the most important thing. Um, so with that said, there, there's, you know, this morning there was also more news coming out. Especially for people down here in Southern California. Uh, the Trump administration and Mexico have agreed to restrict travel. Uh, and this is an article from Newsmax. U.S. to further restrict border with Mexico. U.S. officials are expected to announce new restrictions on the southern border Friday as they try to halt the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. U.S. and Mexico have been working on plans to limit cross-border traffic, according to officials on both sides of the border. The plan is expected to look much like restrictions already announced on all but essential travel and trade deals between U.S. and Canada. 
Quote, we are looking at both our northern and southern border, Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf told reporters at the White House, explaining that the restrictions were aimed at, quote, eliminating non-essential travel across the border. We want to make sure that cargo continues, trade continues, healthcare workers continue to be able to traverse that border. But tourism, some recreational activities and other things need to be stopped during this crisis. Um, So obviously, if you are essential and you need to work, you can get across. There's there's essential things that need to happen. Um, But again, it's about slowing the infection rate, and that's what it's all about. Now, jumping into... Stuff that's, you know, more political in nature outside of the coronavirus. It looks like Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. Now, if you don't know who Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez is, she has now become quite notorious for AB5. And if you don't know about AB5, let me give you a quick little update. AB5 was the uh, law that was passed starting this year, which basically outlawed independent contractors in the state of California. It was proposed in part to kind of go after the Ubers and the Lyfts, the big corporations that seem to be taking advantage of these drivers because they don't have wages, they don't have health insurance, they don't benefits, et cetera, et cetera. But it was blown, it was way overbroad in the sense that it knocked out everybody who was an independent contractor. So that means freelance artists. If you're a graphic designer and you want to be, uh, you know, you want to be a freelancer and that's all you want to do? Great, that's what you can do. You're an independent contractor. Uh, you know, if you're, I'm trying to think of another example. Um, you know, if you're you're a tradesperson, you're an independent contractor. If you are, you know, a lot of people who are actors or in the art industry, um, stuff like that, people are, are being who were freelancers, who were independent contractors, now got thrown into this bill, and they liked the way it was. They liked their gig economy. They had a good thing going, and now this whole bill um, has kind of thrown everything into whack, and it, it's let some exceptions out, uh, mostly attorneys, which if you're an attorney, that's fine, but if you're not an attorney, it doesn't help. So they had a presser, and this was from KUSI. Uh, and what was billed as a press conference of San Diego leaders to encourage immigrants and refugees to access COVID-19 resources to minimize spread of coronavirus, it quickly turned into a gathering of elected leaders taking swipes at the Trump administration's response to the pandemic. Uh, mind you, the, the article is titled, Supervisor Fletcher and Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez used COVID-19 press conference to make a political statement. Um Again, post all these links in the show notes once I'm done. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher, his wife, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher, and City Council President... Oh, I never knew that. That's cute. And City Council President Georgette Gomez gathered at the County Administration Center to highlight government and healthcare resources immigrants can access to stay healthy and informed. Fletcher and Gonzalez respond to claims that illegal immigrants and refugees are fearful of seeking medical care for coronavirus with a statement saying, quote, we reject all suggestions that this virus originated with immigrants. All of San Diego needs to stay united to minimize spread of the coronavirus and no one should be afraid to seek the help they need, quote. They also emphasize the claim that the certain rhetoric from President Trump calling the coronavirus the China virus is stoking fear and putting our Asian American community at risk. All the speakers were highly critical of President Trump and his administration for using this term. Um, 
The reporter asked, now this was a press conference on a Wednesday, President Trump, they asked him if it was racist to say so, which President Trump replied, it's not racist at all. No, not at all. It comes from China. That's why it comes from China. I want to be accurate. The reporter pressed Trump asking, quote, you have no concerns about Chinese Americans in this country. Trump answered, I have a great love for all the people from our country. But as you know, China tried to say at one point, maybe they stop now that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen. Not as long as I'm president. It comes from China. Uh, Assemblywoman said she wanted to clear up some of the misinformation that is out there and continue to speak about the ability of illegal immigrants to get tested for coronavirus at our testing centers amid the pandemic. Earlier in the day, Thursday, KUSY conducted an interview with Assemblyman Kevin Kiley, who is urging Governor Gavin Newsom to suspend AB5 during this crisis. He is support of independent contractors throughout California, Democrats and Republicans, who are stuck at home, unable to work because of AB5. Kylie says suspending AB5, quote, would help people get through this crisis, unquote. We followed up on Kylie's interview by asking the author of the bill, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, quote, with everybody out of work, will you help suspend AB5? Now, here's the great thing about Lorena Gonzalez. Sticks to her guns. You got to give her that. Gonzalez responded to the question saying, quote, the reasoning behind AB5 is so every worker, despite their field, has access to unemployment insurance, health care, paid sick days, the access to paid family leave, temporary disability and workers' comp. There is no time that those benefits have become more important than right now. The last thing we should do when we see 80,000 people having to apply for unemployment insurance is to take that away from people who just got their employment status or away from workers who are currently misclassified under AB5 who can still file for unemployment insurance and get some sort of relief. Gonzalez continued, I think it is ludicrous to make this into a political issue when it is clear, clear as day, that what we are trying to do was right. Workers, all workers, deserve the right to pay time off if they are sick to minimum wage and overtime, to unemployment insurance when suddenly I don't know where their job goes away. What we're trying to do today is not repeal AB5. It's to ensure that all the workers who, and there are a lot of them, who are not protected by workplace protections also have relief. Those workers are also feeling the effect of the sudden downturn in the economy, and there's no program that helps them. We need to make sure we are helping everybody right now. But we need to rethink how we look at unemployment and how we ensure that everybody in these times has had an employer put into these funds so they can access when they need them most. End quote. So even though Lorena Gonzalez says this is not time to make this a political issue or to make it a political fight, they didn't seem to have a problem saying, turning what was this press conference into a political issue and a political fight. And Lorena Gonzalez is obviously going to go down with the ship. She's obviously committed to this. She's obviously committed to the idea that AB5 is the most wonderful thing she could have ever done. But we've talked about it on this show. There are freelancers and there are people who are enjoying the gig economy. I mean, the gig economy in part started partly here in Silicon Valley it, with the ability to use our phones, to use technology, to do this gig economy, partly started here in California. It's a new way of doing things. And a lot of people use it because maybe they have a job, maybe they want to supplement their income and they want to be, be independent contractors. But I will tell you, it's not good for a lot of people because people are now looking out of state. And I know as a business owner myself, when I look at somebody who is does not fall under the exception, I have to say to them, do you fall under 
Are you an exception under AB5 or how do you address this? And a lot of times people haven't really thought about it. They were maybe free workers or they were gig workers before, and now they have to kind of figure out how do I get around this? And to be fair, I've looked at it and I'm still trying to figure out who is and who is not under AB5. And that's forced me to make decisions of, say, hire someone outside of state because I just don't want to be caught saying, as a business owner, I don't want someone to come down and say, you hired an independent contractor here in California who needs to be under AB5 and should be an employee. That's a big deal for someone like me because I don't necessarily need that person to be an employee. If I have someone who's an independent contractor, I just hire them as is. They work a little bit here and there. Every week goes up, goes down. I'm not necessarily using them every single day. I don't need them to check in every single day. Um, it makes a big difference. And I've, I've had to hire people out of state because they don't fall under AB5. And I would have to hire them as an employee, which I don't, I don't want to do. Nor do I need to hire them as an employee because there's just simply not enough demand or not enough work for them. However, if that person who is an independent contractor or gig worker wants to connect with five other businesses and they can create a 40-hour work week by working with other people, that's up to them. They've created their own business. They've created a life that works for them. It's the freedom to enterprise. It's the freedom to make contract. It's the freedom to do what they want to do out in the economy. And I think it's just kind of sad that Lorraine Gonzalez is not backing down from this. She uses this press conference to bash the Trump administration, turning into the whole media talking point that this is racist because it's from China. And he calls it the Chinese virus, which we've called it the Spanish flu. We've called it so many. We've called so many things from where they are, it's just now all of a sudden it's it's racist because President Trump once said it in a press conference. And of course, he keeps saying it because he knows he likes to get the media all riled up. Not to mention the same media who are now lambasting him went before and called it the Wuhan Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan coronavirus. And now all of a sudden they're turning around saying, well, Trump calls it the Wuhan Chinese coronavirus and that's racist. Again, it's Lorena Gonzalez is going to go down with this ship. And more and more people, independent contractors especially, are going to start looking at someone like Lorena Gonzalez and say, mm, you did AB5. How do we get it repealed? You could always start a prop measure. You could always try and repeal it through that way. Or you could do what, uh, who's this representative? He's been kind of bashing her for a while. Um, do, 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 do. There it is. Kevin Kiley, uh, he's an assemblyman. He's been trying to repeal AB5 for a while. And he thought this was a good chance to maybe get her to suspend it. It doesn't look like it. Looks like she's going to stick to her guns. She thinks that this is the great, like I said, she thinks this is the greatest idea ever. It's not. She looks at it, and this is a problem with leftist understanding of the economy and how business works. They have an idealized way of thinking of how they think business should work. That if you just mandate it or legislate it, everybody's going to follow it and everyone's going to be happy and everyone's going to get what they want. Everyone's going to get health care and benefits and yada, yada, yada. They, it's called first phase of business decision. You make that first phase or, or first phase and you look at it and say, okay, this looks like a great idea. We should do this. But they don't think of that second phase, which is the repercussions of it. They never think about the repercussions. They think of, they can pat themselves on the back and say, look what I did. I did this. This is great. I gave people 
uh, unemployment. Uh, I gave them health benefits. And I'd like to see, and I'm sure no one's done a study yet, I'd love to see a study of how many of these self-described independent contractors or gig economy employees or gig economy workers all of a sudden were hired and now have health benefits and now have all this stuff. Because I can guarantee you it's probably not a lot. It's probably not as many as Lorena Gonzalez would like to think. Because like I said, if you have an independent contractor relation with someone, there's a reason you have an independent contractor relationship with them. It's not because you think that you're trying to get around it. Now, there are some people who try to get around it. Absolutely. There are definitely people who try to skirt around it and get around it and turn people into independent contractors so they don't have to pay payroll taxes. But in a situation like mine, if I only need to hire you to do a couple projects here, a couple projects there, help out with some stuff, I don't need you to be on my payroll every single week. There's weeks I may not even use you. There's weeks I may not even talk to you. So I'd love to, I don't think she realizes not a lot of people were probably convert outside of the Uber drivers and the Lyft drivers because it's a big corporation. I doubt a lot of these independent contractors and gig workers were turned into real employees. And if they were, they were probably part-time employees. And you don't get benefits as a part-time employee in a lot of places. So it's all backfiring. The only thing it could possibly be doing is filling the coffers of unemployment insurance, which that's up to the independent contractor. If they don't want to pay into it, they don't have to pay into it. But that's their decision. So still, politics will be politics. AB5 is an awful, 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 awful bill for the economy of California. It needs to be repealed. It needs to be thrown into the trash bin of history. It was an awful idea. It was a make me feel better. Let me pat myself on the back and pretend I did a really nice thing kind of bill. And it just blew up in her face. She'll go down with the ship. She doesn't care. Or she's just that dense and in her own world and in la-la land where she thinks, yeah, I think this is this is a fantastic idea. I think it is a great idea. And I, I don't understand why no one thinks it's a, as great an idea as I am. I'm thinking it's more the latter. Hmm. Last one I want to talk about real quick. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you are a political junkie. And this was an article, uh, American Thinker. And it's not getting a lot of press. And obviously, coronavirus has taken over the world right now. Uh, and this was posted just a couple days ago on American Thinker. Um, it's about a case, and the case is called Citizens for Fair Representation versus Alex Padilla. Um, and what happened here, and I'm going to have to read this because it is complex, and I'll do my best to break it down. Even in my lawyer speak, I will try to do my best to break it down. Uh, the case is titled Citizens for Fair Representation versus Alex Padilla. Uh, if you want the case number, it's 18-17458, so you can look it up. On March 6, 2020, in courtroom one, third room, room 338, James R. Browning Courthouse, at 9.30 a.m., you were supposed to be able to hear oral arguments on how one state senator cannot effectively represent 1 million Californians and how one state assembly member cannot represent 500,000 Californians. So back up, this is this Citizens for Fair Representation is arguing that they need to reorganize how representation is done in California. Um, 
it goes on to say the basis of this claim is invidious invidious discrimination that has prevented certain minorities from ever having held one of these seats in the legislature since its membership is fixed at 40 senators and 80 assembly persons respectively um why were you not able to hear oral arguments well the ninth circuit felt that enough information had been provided by both parties in the case that the court could make a ruling without hearing them in open court I'm speculating that the real reason this was swept under the rug is that none other than former Chief Justice of the Ninth Circuit, Alex Kaczynski, was prepared to make the arguments on behalf of the plaintiffs, citizens for fair representation. But let me back up a little bit. It is relevant to know why this case is rotting in the Ninth Circuit to begin with. The case was originally set in front of the Federal Court of the Eastern District of California. The plaintiffs drew Justice Kimberly J. Mueller as the presiding judge. During oral presentations, the judge was asked by plaintiff's attorney if the case is important and not frivolous. She responded in the affirmative. Judge Mueller then asked the defendant's counsel if he believed that the question is important, and he stated that it is. As a result, this was issued by the court. This is what they call a minute order. So after you go to court and they uh, come to a ruling, there is a what they call a minute order. Uh, so the minute order read, issued by courtroom deputy A. Waldrop for District Judge Kimberly J. Mueller, in light of plaintiff's complaint and notice of requirement of three-judge court, the court has determined this case implicates 28 U.S. Code 2284, Section A, Subsection A, providing for the convening of a three-judge court. The court thereby directs the clerk of the court to formally notify the chief judge of the Ninth Circuit of the pendency of this action. As of 20 U.S.C. 2284, B1 requires so that he may appoint a three-judge court. So ordered. Uh, it is important to note that all voting rights cases are to be heard by a three-judge court, and any appeals go straight to the Supreme Court, and that court must hear the case. As such, after some scrambling by California, Justice Mueller rescinded her previous minute order with the following. Now, this is a new minute order, so she went in the back, as a, as a judge, you're allowed to do this and change it. So new minute order issued by blah, 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 blah. On, upon consideration of the party's filings relating to the question of whether a three-judge court need to be convened to resolve defendant's pending motion to dismiss and plaintiff's pending motion to amend, the court has determined that it is premature to request the convening of such a court prior to this court's threshold determination of jurisdiction and justiceability. Uh, it quotes a case, a Supreme Court case, defendant's ex parte application for reconsideration is granted to the extent the direction to the clerk of the court at ECF 14 is withdrawn until the court has resolved the pending motion. The August 25th, 2017 hearing on the application for recon reconsideration is vacated. So, uh, I'm really going to try and break this down because I think it's important court the article goes on to say never in the history of the united states has a judge appointed a three-judge court and then rescinded the order when asked why justice mueller responded that after consulting with others on the court she changed her original ruling this is significant as she cannot quote consult with others who did not sit in attendance at the trial at hand this would mean that others would aid in ruling who did not have full knowledge of the information and proceedings after forcing a couple of amended complaints by the plaintiffs judge mueller finally dismissed the case with prejudice now that is huge um, so as it stands today the cfr plaintiffs wait for a back office ruling from the ninth circuit what the public missed was a wholesale shredding 
of the corrupt nature of this case and Justice Mueller's beyond questionable handling of the same. We the people miss the opportunity to hear the former Chief Justice of the Ninth Circuit bring to light the vile contempt of a politicized court abusing the citizens of California. Our esteemed third branch of government hides under the cover of, quote, judicial procedure to save the much-needed embarrassment of an Obama appointee who once sat as a member of the Sacramento City Council. Um, you can read the case here. Again, I'll post this in the show notes. There's links. You can read the brief of the Justice uh, Kaczynski. This case is of extreme importance. The population of California has exploded. The upcoming census will show that we have topped 40 million. If this case is tossed on the dustbin of history, more Californians will be represented by the same 80-40 legislature, whose membership was fixed back in, get this, 1860s so that the American Indians and persons of Chinese descent could not hold these seats. What is of equal importance is reconciling the activist decisions of an early 1960s Supreme Court who made all sorts of opinions on voting rights and now shut out voting rights cases using these cases as a base. So, uh, it's a big deal. It, let, me, let me try and break this down. Um, it's mostly very suspicious because of the fact that under, like it said in the original minute order, under 28 U.S.C. Code 2284, uh, subsection A, that when it comes to voting rights issues, there has to be a three-panel judge order for the, the Supreme or for the Ninth Circuit. That was not done here. And for some reason, she went back into her little chambers and decided um, that it was premature and that they were going to dismiss this case. Uh, well, they're not going to dismiss this case. The 20 hearing application for reconsideration is vacated. Why? There could be a number of rulings. Why? Or a number of reasons why. But it's an interesting case because of the fact that why would they not want more representation? And it makes sense. If you have a population of 40 million people and, you know, one senator represents a million people and one assembly person reaches 500,000 people. Do you think that's fair representation? I doubt that there's even a lot of representatives who represent that many people in the United States Congress. So the I, I, it's hard to say why she would do this. Why would you want to keep it at 40, 80 for so many years and why it's just exploded? Maybe they think it's a good thing coming. Maybe they're afraid of if they expand it and they open it up. Maybe there's smaller districts. Maybe they're broken out. Maybe a lot of them start going red. Maybe they start losing that super majority. Who knows? It's a very, very weird case. And you have to keep an eye on it and what's going on. So that's a case I want you to look into. Um, I'm certainly going to look into it. I'm going to follow it more to see what's going on with this case. Because it makes sense. You want more representation, not less representation. And obviously, if the party in control doesn't want you to have more representation, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. So again, I'm going to post all this stuff in the show notes. Um, there's a lot of articles. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Like I said, I want to try and focus this podcast more. I'm going to talk more, you know, maybe before it was like a 50-50. Now I'm going to try and move it closer to 70 30 70 percent more california stuff 30 percent being the more national stuff because but people who listen to this are already political junkies you've been following this all 
already. While I like to bring out my opinion, I like to talk about my opinion, what's going on. This is called the California Underground, and it's about what's going on here in California. So moving forward, I do want to focus more on uh, California politics, what's going on specifically here, what are actions we can do, stuff like that. Um, and again, if you don't like that format and you want to tell me to do it differently, it's a young young podcast. You can do whatever you, you tell me, whatever you want. Um, and go California Underground at ProtonMail.com. Um, as well as you can follow us on Instagram, which is California Underground. Um, you can listen at anchor.fm. And there you can record a uh, voice message and sort of turn it into like a phone call. I can put them into this podcast and answer them like it's a live phone call. So yeah, check us out. Email, Instagram, and Facebook. Stay tuned at anchor.fm. Trying to get these out every week. Let me know what you think. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll be out of this soon. Look at the bright side. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 